want you to turn to that psalm with me this morning. It's Psalm chapter 42. It is probably the psalm that starts out with, let's assume that Psalm 23 is the most famous passage in the psalm. Psalm 42 starts with what are perhaps the second most quoted verses from the book of Psalms. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The cry of a heart in despair. The cry of a heart wrestling with the realities of life in a fallen world. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Pick up with me in verse 3. It says, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go along with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me, inundated me. By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. Saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Father, as we look at the words of this psalm, as we read a testimony of despair, we think of our brother Brian Skinner and his dear wife. Today, wrestling with the reality of a tragic devastating loss. Trying to see how it fits into the plan of God. Trying to discern the purpose of God. Lord, would you pour out your grace on that dear man and his wife and their family and all within gospel through Columbia, all in that organization. Lord, would you just show your glory through circumstances that they would never choose. And yet in your wise and sometimes hard providence, you've allowed darkness to fall in their life. Lord, may they ask the question this psalmist asked, and may they counsel themselves. May we counsel ourselves today as if we wrestle through times that are uncertain for us. Lord, this morning I just pray that you will encourage our hearts as we study your word. We just confess, Lord, as we come, our weakness. Lord, I confess my inability to speak these words this morning. My need for your help, Lord. I pray that you will meet us here this morning. 
I pray, Lord, that you will speak comfort into the hearts of those here this morning who have undergone loss in the last year or two or three, something that has just been hanging over their life, drawing away strength and joy. Lord, I pray that as a result of looking at this passage of Scripture, that you would just wonderfully meet them, Lord, in the midst of their circumstance that is causing distress and trouble. And may you comfort and encourage their hearts this morning. Lord, bless us as we seek your face, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's part two in a, just a brief series that I want to do on hope in troubled times. Last Friday, uh, if you're in touch with news at all, looking at newspapers, looking at the web, uh, you know that the news on Friday morning was financially very dismal. Went through some of the web pages that I look at typically in the morning as I begin my day. Found statements like this Friday, fear. Recession alarm rings around the world. Markets dive. Blood flows on Wall Street. Recessions, recession fears batter markets. Credit choked on recession anxiety. Wall Street sinkhole. And Alan Greenspan's amazing statement, we are facing a once-in-a-century credit tsunami. I didn't turn away from my computer screen saying, you know what, I feel so encouraged. I thought, bad news all the way around. Bad news all the way around. How do the children of God respond in times that are difficult, that are financially stressful, that are physically challenging, when death enters in and there is loss. How do we put our life back together in a way that doesn't deny God, but that enthrones God and causes His children to feel a deep sense of encouragement as they rest at His feet? The Psalms are full of what I have to call brutal honesty and struggles of God followers who live in a fallen world. This psalm certainly is one of those kinds of psalms. It reflects the heart of a man who is badly beaten and in need of encouragement. And it is that heart that he brings before God in this psalm. We are faced with the reality that God's children, though faithful, though pure, though having integrity, they will face times of struggle, loss, and despair. It's part of life in a fallen world. This morning my challenge to you is going to be this. We must learn to overcome in times of despair. We must learn how to live above the waves, above the fray. In the world, Jesus said, and yet not what? Of it. We need to live in this world that is going through various levels of turmoil, circumstances in our personal lives that indicate deep levels of turmoil. We need to learn how to live in that setting in a way that does not belittle God. My question is this, how can we as believers be different? We live in the same world, but how can we promote Christ-centered hope, God-honoring hope, in the midst of the same circumstances that everyone around us? is facing. And I just want to give you three very simple thoughts. The first one is this. If we're going to overcome for the glory of God in times of trouble, we must understand the causes of despair. Secondly, we must identify the symptoms or the effects 
of despair in our lives. And then thirdly, we need to claim the cure that God gives for despair. So the first thought this morning will be this. We must understand the causes of, of despair in our lives. And I think we could argue from our own experience, from this text, from many passages of Scripture, that there are many causes of despair in a fallen world. I want you to notice how the psalmist says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. What is the psalmist facing? What does it indicate if he says, God, I want to be with you, but I'm not? Something of circumstances in his life that are distressing circumstances that have led him to some level of separation or distance from his Savior. That's what the psalmist is experiencing. Somehow, and if you read through David's life, you'll find times where David is chased out of the throne as king, out into the wilderness, longing for the presence of God, feeling like a chased animal. Also, we have the experience of constant criticism in our lives as God's children. Verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are, I thought you said you were a Christian. Why are you struggling like, like that? Why is that difficulty coming into your life? Where is your God? That constant drumbeat of criticism just like Job experienced. As I was working through this part of my sermon, I thought of our Savior in His struggle and travail on Calvary's cross, feeling distant from God, saying, My God, why have you forsaken me? A crowd gathers around the cross of Christ. And they taunt Him. You know what one of their primary taunts is? Let Him who saved others do what? Save Himself. Jesus cries out. To, they say, oh, let's see if God comes and rescues Him. Let's see. Very similar thought to what the psalmist is experiencing here. They say to you all day long, where is your God? To the Savior they said, let's see if God will deliver Him. A cause for despair that caused Christ to cry out in agony, in despair in his heart. We also face something called uncontrollable circumstances. Verse 4, I think, leans in this direction a bit. These things I remember and I pour out my soul. How I used to go along with the multitude, leading in the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Somehow, this man is distanced from the presence of God. Later down in verse 6, he says, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan. That is across the river of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mitzar. What is the psalmist saying? He's experiencing a distance from the place where God reveals His power and His glory, the temple. And what he's longing for is to have his circumstances changed so that he can enjoy the manifest presence of God in the city of Jerusalem at temple worship. That's what he's longing for. Somehow circumstances have distanced him from God. They are circumstances that he does not have control over. And he remembers times that are better. I was at my niece's wedding yesterday. And this is Megan. Her brother is Kyle. Uh, the boy that was, became a quadriplegic. Actually, it's a year and one week ago. Wedding got started, and I've never seen this before at a wedding. I thought it was kind of a nice touch. They had slides uh, as the uh, parents were coming in, slides of the family experience and the kids, and they're growing up. Watching those pictures, thinking about this text, seeing my nephew, 
happy, healthy, building stuff in pictures, doing all those things with the sister. Emotionally uh, challenging. Realizing that his life is, humanly speaking, changed. Changed. Procession. The bridesmaids and the groomsmen. My nephew comes down in his wheelchair. I thought, uncontrollable, unforeseen circumstances that alter the course of our lives and contrive us to despair. A life through a, quote, freak accident that no one could control changed his life. Why are you in despair? Well, let's be honest. Because there are many things in this life that can cause despair. When Jesus encountered the death of Lazarus, his friend, knowing that he would raise him from the dead, how did he respond? You know what the Bible says? He wept and was deeply troubled. Why? Because he was looking at circumstances that for humanity are a cause of despair. And when he saw it personally in his human form, he wept. That to me is exceedingly powerful. We must understand that in our world, there are many causes for despair in our lives. And if you read through the psalm, you'll uncover a number of them. The second thought is this. If I'm going to overcome despair, I need to understand that there are causes for it in my life. And I shouldn't minimize them and say, oh, that's not hard. No, I need to reckon with the reality of troubles, trials, struggles that come into my life. I need to learn how to reckon with them. Not to deny them, but to understand them in light of other biblical truth. Struggles are are struggles. Trials are trials. Hard times are hard times. It doesn't help to try to redefine them. It helps to understand that when I am experiencing despair in my life, there are usually very specific causes for that despair. Secondly, identify the symptoms of despair. Am I drifting towards hopelessness? How do I know if I am? I think this passage points out a couple things. What the psalmist was experiencing that was leading to a feeling of despair. Verse 2, he says this. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? What does this question indicate? It indicates that he's experiencing some type of separation between himself and his father. Some type of distance. Something has come in between. And his heart is crying out in despair because what he feels is as if God has abandoned him. And the cry of his heart is, when can I move past these circumstances and enjoy the manifest, valuable, powerful presence of the living God? That's what the psalmist wants in this passage of Scripture. When can I, when will I meet with him? Will I ever make it back to his presence? And the message puts it this way, and drink in God's presence. That's what the psalmist wants to know. That soul-satisfying work of God in his heart and in his life. It's that that is motivating him here in this text. Symptom of despair number one, he feels that God has abandoned him. Go to verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, he says this. He says, I say to God, my rock. Okay, what's the source of stability in the psalmist's life? It is God himself. I say to God, my rock, 
Why have you forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? Folks, let's be honest. You ever had circumstances in your life where you're saying, God, I don't know if this is the best way to do this. I don't know if letting my nephew become paralyzed, become a quadriplegic is best. I don't know if letting my dad die prematurely was best. That's what the psalmist is expressing to God. God, I'm troubled. I don't know if you should have let me marry this person because it has brought into my life profound despair and struggle. I don't know that this job is the best. What does he feel? Why have you forgotten me? Why have you allowed circumstances to come into my life that cause you to seem distant from me? Symptom number one. Feel abandoned by God. Symptom number two. Total hopelessness. Total hopelessness. In verse 5, the psalmist says it this way. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? A sense of abandonment and a feeling of total helplessness. I want to unpack for you these two words. The word downcast, one translation says, why are you so down in the dumps? The word literally means to be bowed down under an enormous burden, very low. To sit like one who mourns. To sit like one who mourns. If you want to see this in a quick microcosm in life, watch a football game, particularly a championship football game. And watch how we as human beings, move through high and low emotions from elation to complete despair. Everything's great, everything's bad, and it switches like this, doesn't it? One play to the next, okay? I'm glad I'm not a Tampa Bay fan today, okay? The Phillies won last night, if you didn't know that, at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sure Bob, did, did you step and watch it, Bob? You did? All right, awesome. And you're awake back there, too. That was actually risky doing that just then without looking to make sure you were looking at me. Bob has been a die-in-the-wool uh, Phillies fan, and may God bless you and give you everything you want this season. <laughs> and I say that with complete selflessness, okay? What does the psalmist feel? He feels overwhelmed. He feels total hopelessness. He feels down in the dumps. He's sitting like a mourner. He looks like the weight of the world is on his shoulders. Everything's going wrong. It's the day that he wants to end. The next word that he uses, he says, why are you so disturbed within me? This word is fascinating. It means to internally be in an uproar, to groan, or literally to give a sound. When I heard the news about Brian Skinner's daughter, my emotional response to that loss was not quiet. There is this, it's not verbal, but it's audible. That's what the psalmist is saying. I am downcast to the place of groaning. The sorrow, the struggle that he's facing is overwhelming him, stealing all of his joy, looking, making him look like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he is in an uproar internally. He is experiencing audible emotional pain. Why such a conclusion? Because his trials that he's experiencing have become perpetual, and I'm going to guess in his mind, unavoidable. 
Look at verse 3 as he works through his struggle. He says, My tears have been my food day and night. My tears have been my food day and night. One translation puts it this way, and I thought this was very helpful. I am on a diet of tears. I am on a diet of tears. You ever feel that way? Trouble just keeps coming. It keeps hitting you. Circumstance doesn't go away. What should you do in that set of circumstances? Where do you go in that kind of situation when this idea of waves is flowing over you? Go to verse 7. The psalmist says, Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. Have you ever tried to stand in a surf that was throwing at you waves that just kept knocking you down, pounding you down, and give you that sense of disorientation and despair? How does the psalmist feel towards God? Here's what he's saying. God, somehow in your hard providence, you are allowing me to be humbled, and I don't understand why. A profound sense of feeling abandoned, circumstances seeming to become unavoidable and overwhelming to the psalmist. And he pours it out to God. This verse is what prompts the verse in the song, It is well with my soul, when it says, When sorrows like sea billows, what? Roll. You know what the idea is? They just keep coming and coming and coming. If you've ever gone out into the ocean and sat in a boat, here's what happens. The waves just keep rolling, unceasing, rolling, unceasing, rolling. What is the psalmist saying? He says, God, I, I, this brutal honesty that I love in the psalms, sometimes as Christians say, oh, is it okay to talk to God like that? As long as it's not in an accusatory fashion, I say to my kids, you can say anything to me you want to say. Just remember I'm your dad. Just give the respect that's due. You may not like the decision I make, but give the respect that's due to the position. Same thing is true with God. This psalmist is saying, God, I feel like you have abandoned me. I feel like I am on a diet of tears. I feel like the waves of your wrath and your judgment just continue to pummel me, and I am disoriented, and I don't know where to go with it. The symptom of despair is abandonment and hopelessness. That's where the psalmist clearly is. Now, what are the cures for despair? And I just, from this text, I'll just list a couple of them for you. What are the cures for despair? And I want to give you a hint, okay? In C.J. Mahaney's little book called The Cross-Centered Life, he has one of the most fascinating chapters. It's about six or eight pages long. And it's called, Do You Listen to Yourself or Talk to Yourself? Do you listen to yourself or do you talk to yourself? Now, I have a theory. I think it's fine to talk to yourself. I think it's okay to answer yourself. But you should never say, huh? Okay? Don't do that. Okay? What is the psalmist doing here? You know what he's doing? He's talking to himself. He's honestly expressing the cry of his heart that has led to pain and distress. But he is reminding himself of the glorious truth of his God. Look, I get head noise. I particularly get head noise on Sunday mornings. I wake up thinking in my flesh, why do you even try? And I believe that the evil one just wants to pummel us. 
give us head noise, get us to listen to ourselves, to our fears, to our concerns, and it blocks out God. It eclipses the glory of God in our lives. Now, we have a choice every day. We have a choice that we can listen to ourselves and let that drive our lives, but our listening to ourselves will always be restricted by our capacity. My capacities are weak and limited. Gods are unlimited. So I have, to, I, I have to deal with this voice that says, you can't do this effectively. And then I have to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? You take the fear that comes from the evil one who is throwing those doubts at you. You hold up the shield of faith that says, I don't believe you. One of my friends said to me recently, he said, Tim, pastor friend, okay? So us pastors get together and just complain together, okay? Not about people, but just about stuff, you know? Not all the time, but usually we pray together. But sometimes we just say, you know, this is hard sometimes. Here's what my friend said to me. He said, Tim, why do we always believe the doubts? Why do we always believe the doubt? Evil one throws doubt and despair and concern and fear at us. Why do we always believe that? Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please God. He that comes to Him must believe that He is and that He what? rewards those who diligently seek Him. The psalmist is being very transparent in a way that I am sure makes us feel uncomfortable. It almost says that God is being unfair to him. That's the way it starts to to feel. But there is a cure for despair that emerges from this text and it's something that you must speak to yourself about. Verse 5. He says, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? And here's the talking to himself. That's the reality. You feel thrown down the stairs today. You feel thrown under the bus today. Why are you so downcast? And what does he say? You hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. This is a personal confrontation in the midst of deep despair. The first cure for despair is this. Confront, admit, and confess the sin of unbelief. Go to God and say, God, I have a tendency when I go through times of trouble, it is to doubt your manifest goodness. It is to doubt that you are a faithful God. It is to doubt that you really love me. And I know that I am wrong in that regard. Confront the tendency to doubt the goodness of God who Romans 8.28 says is causing all things to work together for good to His glory. And James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, ask God for insight into your circumstance. He gives to all men liberally and He will not chastise you. Go to Him in faith. In that circumstance, doubt the fear. Doubt the doubt. And cling to the manifest power of God. First cure. Confront and admit all sin that relates to doubt about the goodness of God. And then do this. Say to your soul, seek your greatest satisfaction in God. Look at verses 1 and 2. You want to overcome despair, find your greatest satisfaction in God. As the deer pants for the streams of water, the psalmist says, so my soul pants for you, O God. Like a white-tailed deer that just has run away from a, a, a prey, finds a stream of water and plunges in to get satisfaction. I think of uh, a dog like Dan Slack has, okay? Bear. 
All right? Perfect name for Dan's dog, by the way. Okay? This dog is huge. Appropriately named. Scares me, actually. Scared me a lot more when he was younger. Now he's got to know me. Settled down a little bit. That dog's outside running around. Gets all exhausted. Tongue's hanging out. Put that dog in front of water. What does he do? He expresses desperation and a need for satisfaction. Folks, look. The image is a fascinating image, isn't it? As the deer pants for the water brook, God, I pant for you. I long for you. I need you. Like a dog jumps into the bowl and just licks up the water, it's spilling all over the place. What is he doing? He's finding satisfaction at an appropriate source. And every Christian needs to confront their doubts and then seek their greatest satisfaction in the very presence of God. Verse 2, he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with Him? That's his desire. That's how he starts out this psalm. And then he's going to plunge into all the struggles he has. But he sets it up by saying, I look for my greatest satisfaction in my personal relationship with God. My soul pants. I want to drink of God alive. The third cure is this. Maintain a focus on God. I love the way verse 5 and verse 11 lay out. He confronts himself. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed, Tim? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. Why? Because He is my Savior and my God. He is my God who created this whole world that I live in. He's in exhaustive control of all of it. But He is also my Savior who comes to us in the midst of our struggles, our despair, and is our Redeemer, our Deliverer, our Forgiver, the Restorer of our soul. Psalm 23 starts to come to mind. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. Show me your glory. Find your satisfaction in the manifest presence of God. And then maintain a confident focus on God. I just love the way the psalmist says it. Hope in God, for I will yet praise Him. The word hope means this. It means to wait, tarrying in total confidence. To wait, to tarry, to rest in total confidence that God will come through. So Christian friend, our panic is without justification. Hope in God. Hope in God. Let's be honest. How many of you have looked at your statements for your retirement plans? How many of you have not? Raise your hand if you seriously haven't. Okay? You're all living in fear. You're not giving God a chance to work. I looked at mine. It wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um... You know what? It is profoundly easy for us to feel good when our financial status is strong, isn't it? You know why? We tend to trust in what is seen, what is visible. Most of us will look at our retirement statements and we're going to start thinking something like this. This affects my future. This affects my future in some way that I probably don't fully comprehend. It affects it. Here's a question for you. Are you okay with that? Is, has God changed? I know the stock market has changed, but has God changed? Do you see? 
It is so, look, we are so like Israel. It is so easy for us to put our hope in, to wait confidently in things that are going to pass away or the thought that scares me even more, my capacity to enjoy those things tucked away is going to go away. So you can have a lot and die and still leave it all behind. That it's there is no guarantee. It's just that it's there. The psalmist says, put your hope in God, not in circumstances, for I will yet praise Him. Maintain a confident focus on God Almighty, God satisfying. And then trust Him, it's the last thought, trust Him to fulfill His purposes in and through your circumstance. The end of verse 5, he says this, same thing at the end of verse 11. Put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him. I will have reason to bow my knee before the throne of God and give Him the glory that He is so deserving of. Why? Why, psalmist? Why are you so confident? in the midst of your despair that is driving you to feel abandoned by God, why so confident? Because this man, I believe, had a vision of God. He saw God Almighty and it changed him. He trusted God in his circumstances and it was changing him. I thought of the passage in Mark chapter 4. I thought of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a storm. Complete and total despair, right? Bowed down, weight of the world, everything crashing in, waves crashing into the boat, and I get a very, very similar kind of echo to what's going on back in the Old Testament with the psalmist. In the midst of that storm, there is a Savior who lays asleep in the stern of the boat. And the disciples come to Him, and what do they express? Abject fear. Total despair completely disturbed. Why did Jesus let him go through that? To show them that he'll take care of all their problems. Huh? I, I think that's a partial answer. Why did he do it? Well, follow through the rest of the story. They wake Jesus up and accuse him of not caring because circumstances were hard. Here's what we think. If circumstances are hard, God doesn't care. They wake Jesus up and express their concern to him. Don't you care? We're going to die. He gets up and he speaks to the sea. And it calms down. And there is total peace. And I just wonder, when Jesus has done that, and he looks at him, it's calm. Okay, stop. Peace be still. Disciples are all behind him. What is their conclusion? Their conclusion is not, oh, he can take care of all our problems. Jesus takes care of the storms in your life. That's not what they say. You know what they say? What kind of man is this? The issue was not about what he could do. The issue was about his capacity to care for them and to take care of their greatest fear. Folks, we tend to domesticate God. We want God to be the one who meets our needs and takes care of our problems. He's more than that. He's more than that. And as the disciples looked at Christ... Their question to each other was, what kind of man is this who loves us so much and has the capacity to express his love to us? The answer is this. He is God, my Savior. What does the psalmist say? Hope in God, I will yet praise him. Why? He is God and Savior. 
You might have come here this morning with a burden of sin, of secret sin, of hidden sin. You may have come here this morning saying, I wish I could know God personally, but I got all this stuff in my life and it leads me to despair and doubt and I feel disturbed and I feel there is no hope. I feel abandoned by God. I have good news for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. He came as God, yes. But as Paul says to Timothy, He is God, my Savior. And what I love about that last part of the verse, my Savior and my God. You know what I love? The two words in there that are most precious to me are the words, my. You say Psalm 23. What do you say? The Lord is my shepherd. You know what that psalm is about? Personal, manifest, presence, love, care, concern, power of God in our lives. We can have hope in our times of trouble. You can have hope in the midst of your sin that there is a Savior who loves you and gave Himself for you and wants to forgive you of your sin. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?